Hello, my name is Ben Jenkins. Welcome back to another episode of New Grab Radio Podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking all about the most common alarms that could be going off on the ventilator and talking through some strategies on what we could be doing to, number one, acknowledge these alarms, and number two, what we could be doing about them. And the big part of this episode is going to be the one particular example and the one alarm that should have us thinking about maybe escalating some care uh, and for talking through the strategies on how to assess this and then escalate this appropriately. So let's have you feeling a little bit more comfortable behind the ventilator and managing it from day to day. So let's get underway. I guess to start with, what are some of the most common alarms that could be going off? Now, think of the alarms on a ventilator similar to you'd think of the alarms on your monitor. You've set them, you've set your alarm parameters and it's, let's say the patient starts to become a little bit tacky, well, boom, the alarm is going to go off at you and just to say, hey, just be mindful, this is what's going on. And then also think of it like the patient has just gone into a run of VT and it's set off the alarm, it's recognized it, and now you're going into in that more of that red alarm, that real like, hey, I'm getting your attention right now. And that can also go off on the ventilator. So let's talk through some of the more um, basic alarms uh, so some of the most common ones that will be going off in order to just grab your attention is going to be things like your high and low respiratory rates, high and low tidal volumes, high and low minute ventilation, which again is your uh, tidal volume times your respiratory rate. Um, they're, they're probably big ones. And then the, you're going to have other ones, which are going to be more of your pressure. So high high pressures mostly, but you could say low pressure. Um We'll come back to that sort of concept in a sec. Um, other alarms, which are mostly seen on your portable ventilators, uh, could be things such as low battery. So again, be mindful before we take that portable ventilator out of the ICU when we're port- uh, taking them somewhere, most likely going down to CT, um, having making sure that the batteries are nice and full within it. Uh, another one could be low uh, oxygen. So if we're on a portable cylinder, portable oxygen cylinder, we just be mindful that, okay, it's uh, making sure we always have a backup cylinder just in case. Uh, and as soon as we get them down to somewhere like CT, we're taking them off of your oxygen cylinder and putting them straight onto the walls. That way you're conserving yours. But again, something else that you could be coming up on, a, on, a, on alarm. Now, Let's talk through how we're, what, what we're doing about this sort of information. So what does an alarm actually sound like? It sounds like a silly question to ask, but it's, it's definitely not. It's, uh, it's going to have an auditory cue. It's going to um, have some sort of visual cue. So whether that's just going to be like, for example, like yellow sort of lights going off, which is more of like your sort of I'm getting your attention type view. And then similar to your uh, other, um, again, this is changing from ventilator to ventilator, but then you could have more of that critical alarm, which will then have that red flashing like something is really going off right now. Um, So as we've got now, and then also the big, big one, which is going to give away what exactly it is, is it's going to say on the screen exactly what the alarm is. Now, whether you're on a nice big servo U or a PB840, which is your big fancy touchscreen sits at the bed space type ventilator, or whether you're on a portable ventilator such as your Hamiltons or your Oxylogs, either way, on the screen, it's going to be saying what it is. Now, what do we do about that sort of information? Well, it depends on why this patient and what the goal of the patient is at the time. So if the patient is starting to breathe up, 
but that is the purpose of what we're trying to do. Maybe we've lowered the sedation on purpose and we're saying, hey, we actually want them to be waking up. We want to see what they're doing for breathing-wise. If the, We've set mandatorily, if they're on a rate, we've set 14 mandatory breaths and we've set our high alarm at 16 breaths per minute. As soon as that patient starts to breathe up, bang, it's going to alarm at you. Beautiful. We've acknowledged that. That's great. Well, what we might do now is that now that we know that they're starting to breathe up, let's set that high alarm that little bit higher. Let's set it up to maybe... 20 breaths per minute. And then when they start to get over that, well then, okay, beautiful. All right, I understand now. And it could be the same to go for some other sort of uh, alarms as well. Um, but maybe that's not the purpose of what we're trying to do right now. Maybe we're actually trying to keep them sedated so they're not breathing up. So beautiful. They've hit 16 breaths per minute. Beautiful. Now we might be looking at increasing sedation. Uh, let's look at other ones. So when the patient is spontaneously breathing, uh, a big important one to consider is your low tidal volume alarm. Now, when the patient's breathing, they are dictating how big or small their breaths are. And if the patient is consistently having too small a breath, well, then they're under, underventilating themselves and that can be an issue. So that could be a sign to say, hey, we might, this patient either, number one, maybe. Uh, could be that they're in pain and they're not taking those nice big breaths that they want them to. So we might consider giving some extra pain relief. Uh, two might actually mean that if they're having sort of more respiratory rate and that they're starting to breathe smaller, it might be that they're starting to fatigue um, fatigue themselves. So it might mean that we need to give them a bit more support on the ventilator or it might get to the point where we're going to switch them back over to a rate. But again, it depends on what the purpose is. But what it's been told from this uh, alarms is it's it's telling you information that you could be using and potentially be talking to the doctors about this is what's going on when it starts to get to uh, a point of like okay now the next sort of thing i'll be talking about now is this is something that we really need to be mindful of this is more of your your critical alarm type stuff so let's get underway when the, the main one i'll be talking about today is the high pressure alarm like you're more and in particular like your peak pressure What's happening here is that when it gets to that threshold, like as I've described on the other episodes, and it's rec- the machine's recognized, hey, it's hit that high limit, it's going to dump the breath. And it's that whole hujunk. It literally dumps the breath. Um, so there's a whole reason why this could be happening. It could be because the patient has hiccuped. It could be that the patient has started to take a breath at a time where the ventilator was about to deliver a breath anyway, and it's sort of gone, oh, I can't deliver that too much. Boom, it dumps the breath. Uh, and in that sort of case, it's okay if the patient peak pressures once or maybe twice in a row, it's no big deal. Then they can go back to breathing just like normal. It's all good. It's nothing to worry about. But when it is something to worry about is when it continually to peak pressure. Now, what is the purpose of the ventilator in the first place? It's to be able to deliver breaths and to deliver oxygen. Now, what's happening when you're peak pressuring is that you're delivering neither of those things. The ventilator is not doing its job. So now that starts to become an issue. So let's talk about some strategies on how to assess this. We might be able to do things as a registered nurse at the bed space in order to overcome these issues. And then I'll get to the point of where it's like, okay, we need to start escalating this a little bit more and start bringing some extra people in. So let's start talking through it. So to start with, the patient's starting to peak pressure. Once, twice, now we start to keep peak pressuring. So let's start this systematic assessment. First thing, let's look up at the SATs. What are the SATs doing at the moment? We might be holding nice and high in the high 90s. That's great, beautiful. Let's start with the tubing. Now, it always sounds weird because it's like, when is the tubing actually going to kink? 
Well, the times that I've seen the tubing kinked or restricted in some sort of way is when the tubing is coming down, it's attached to the endotracheal tube, and we've been looking at uh, moving the patient in the bed, and we've put the bed rails down, and we've caught the tubing in the bed rails. Beautiful. Normally, when you've done that, you recognize that you've done it, and the easiest way to overcome it is to put the bed rail back up and no extra damage done. It's all good. Uh, next sort of one could be within more of like a resus area of the emergency department when we're moving a patient on a portable ventilator. Sometimes we get the um, clamps and we'll put the sheet around the tube um, in order to try to secure the tube around in the bed so it's, the tube's not flopping everywhere. And sometimes you might accidentally clamp the actual tube itself. So again, starting at the tube and working your way down can sort of overcome that sort of resistance issue. Another common reason, so now we've gone through the tubing, the tubing's not kinked, beautiful, working our way down. We come to the actual tube itself. A common reason for continually peak pressuring is that the patient's biting the tube. How do we tell the patient's biting the tube? We well, sort of spread their lips a little bit and you'll see that the teeth are chomping down on that thing. So what do we do about that? Number one, it could be, depending on their blood pressure, if their blood pressure is nice and stable, you might to give them a, sed a bolus of sedation, something like a yeah, propovol in the background. So hopefully that's going to relax them enough that they're going to stop chomping down on the tube. Now, if that's not really working so well, we might be able to try to pry their mouth open and try to get in a Goodell's airway or OPA in order to work as a temporary bite block. From there, we can then substitute it out for a more permanent bite block. So there are other specific bite blocks, which some are made of foam and some are made of other type of plastic. Um, but again, they could stay in the mouth for a bit longer of time. Um, but for the moment... Uh, this patient is restricting their own airway and they're not breathing. So we need to get something in there to, to stop that. Another sort of thing that we could be looking at, so now that we've come from the tubing down to the actual endotracheal tube, another common reason is for a, a big a mucus plug. So something that we do is we will suction the patient. Now, I haven't mentioned about how we do that yet, but I'll talk that through right now. You know how you've got your yanker sucker, the big plastic sort of rigid sucker that you stick into someone's mouth? And then you've got the other type of sucker, the Y sucker. It's the more longer, skinnier version. Well, think of a Y sucker that's encapsulated in a piece of plastic. And what's happening is you'll attach that uh, inline suction, which is always attached to that endotracheal tube in the, in the uh, bed space. Uh, oh, sorry, onto the actual uh, endotracheal tube sitting there on the patient. You'll attach the wall suction to this inline suction piece of thing. And if you go at the meantime, have a listen to this and type in inline suction ventilator and you'll see like on the endotracheal tube exactly what it looks like. And what you're doing is you're feeding this, think of it like a Y sucker, down the endotracheal tube itself into the lungs. You activate the suction and you withdraw. And from that, if it is, if, if it is a mucus plug that's causing this, you'll hear a and you're suctioning out that secretions and hopefully to overcome this resistance issue. Because again, the ventilator is trying to push air into it and it's hitting some sort of resistance in there and it's going, oh, geez, no, that doesn't seem right. And then it dumps the breath. So if we get rid of that secretions, maybe that's going to make life so much better and the patient's going to breathe more easier from there. From there, let's just say that's not happening. Let's have an auscultation of their lungs. So I guess we'll rule out the big things first. Can we hear anything on that side? Maybe it is a tension pneumothorax. Maybe we might need to be going around that uh, needle decompression, but that's not something I've seen over my time. Um, doesn't say that's not going to be the case, but that's why we that's why we do the systematic approach. Uh, what else we're we listening for could be things such as areas of consolidation, so all like a real bad sort of crackly crap sort of bit, and maybe that's a whole area of atelectasis. Maybe we might need to get the physio in in order to 
do some airway maneuvers, which one of my friends, Sam, the very next episode up and talking about physios and what they do in order to overcome these sort of issues. Um, but again, we could be doing that and then sort of shaking on the chest and then trying to suction more out. Or we could be looking at things like um, asthmatics or COBD type patients where they've got such a bad wheeze and they've started to uh, auto peep. They're starting to breath stack in that sort of way. They're, they're retaining all and they're able to expire because of it. Uh, and they've got to a point where the pressures are now so high that any oxygen that the ventilator is trying to push into it is meeting some resistance. And that's obviously not very good. And that's a time where you're going to be starting up nebs pretty quick. Uh, but that's probably a time there where we're going to start getting some real help from people next door. We're, we're calling out. If we've gotten to the stage of we've gone through the tubing, we've gone, uh, tried to give a bit of a suction, and they're not biting the tube, and they're not really getting any better, I'd be calling out to my people next door. Hey, guys, like I've got an issue in here. This patient's not ventilating. And usually your bedside neighbor, hopefully get them in pretty quick, and they'll start calling out for extra help as well. From here, we've had a good auscultation. This is why you also need someone coming in at this point because the next step from here would be to disconnect the patient from the ventilator and to be putting a bag valve mask on the actual endotracheal tube itself. So you're actually physically breathing for this patient. Because again, up to this point, the ventilator is not doing its job. It's not delivering breaths and it's not delivering any oxygen. So we need to do that now for that patient. So what you do is you get the bag valve mask, which is sitting on the side. It's attached up to our wall oxygen. Crank it up to 15 litres per minute. Make sure our bag, our reservoir bag is filled up and we'll be squeezing the bag. And as we're squeezing it, we're feeling, is there extra resistance to us being able to squeeze it? Or is it nice and easy to squeeze? Uh, so the question I had in my mind when I was first starting is, if we start breathing for this patient, the whole purpose of what the ventilator was just doing by dumping the breath is that it's recognized the airway pressures are too high. So if we go start squeezing now, are we going to just pop their lungs? Are we just going to cause the issue even worse? Well, that is something to consider. But on the other side of things, this patient's not breathing. We need to breathe for this patient. Um, beautiful. Uh, so as we're, as we're doing it, and then hopefully now we're watching the sats and the sats will start to increase. And as we're breathing for them, it's, everything's all good. It's nice. And looking at other big things, looking at where the tube is sitting to endotracheal tube, making sure that it's actually in the correct spot. So when we first started the shift, we're measuring how many centimeters to either the lips or the teeth. Um, and we've got a nice endo, um, end tidal waveform as well to make sure it's still in the, in the lungs and, and doing its sort of job. Beautiful. So as we're squeezing, 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 we've got it back to a good spot. We've um, now uh, been able to probably reattach this patient back to the ventilator and they should go back to breathing just fine. From here, we'll probably tell the doctors, hey, this is what happened and probably get physios in in order to have a good assessment um, as well. Um, now, at the point that you're breathing, breathing, breathing and it's still not doing well, you're not getting sats back up, something's going wrong, that's probably when I'd blue butter it and button it and start really getting some doctors in if they haven't come already. Anyway, guys, that's a bit of a, have an assessment of exactly what we're doing from there. So, Today in this episode, I've broken down some of the more common alarms that you're sort of going to be getting. Uh, and in particular, this was the sort of uh, actual thing that can happen day to day for a patient um, who continually peak pressures. Peak pressures is one of those things where it's like, yep, this can definitely be an, an airway emergency. But by using that systematic approach, by recognizing that it's peak pressuring, it's dumping the breaths continuously so they're not ventilating, working our way through the tubing down to the endotracheal tubes, suction, listen. And then if all else fails, you could always disconnect the patient and to breathe for the patient. 
And in that time, you're asking for help from next door. Hey, I'm having issues over here. I need your help. And then possibly from there, if it's still not working so well, really make this an emergency and get the people, get the doctors in. Uh, and they'll start going from there because there are other things in the background that doctors can be coming in and doing. They might be able to perform an emergency bronchoscope, which is where they um, have a look down and they might be able to use another piece of fancy equipment in order to suction out um, the, their lungs as well. So that's there's just extra little things in the background. But from you as a registered nurse from recognizing that this isn't going very well, they're not oxygenating, that starts all this process. So I hope I've provided some tools with this episode for you to be more comfortable with alarms and how to overcome these challenges. So anyway, guys, I'll talk to you very soon.